morning. Good to be in worship this morning. And um, we have been this summer doing a series that has been titled Once Upon a Time. And so this morning we're going to, and it's been stories in the Old Testament, but this morning we're going to transition a little bit. We have uh, the Lord's Supper that we're going to be sharing in a few minutes. And so this morning we're going to be talking once upon a cross. Once upon a cross. It was now coming to the end of Jesus' life and he was making his way to Jerusalem. He had just come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, what we call the triumphal entry. And he would soon be sharing the Passover feast with his disciples. And he, uh, two of his disciples, Philip and Andrew, had uh, brought some Greeks that wanted to meet Jesus and brought them to Jesus. And in the interaction that followed, in John chapter 12, verse 23, we're going to set our stage with his words to Philip and Andrew. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless the kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servant must be where I am and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring your glory. Bring glory to your name. Then a voice spoke from heaven saying, I have already brought glory to my name and I will do so again. When the crowd heard the voice, some of them thought it was thunder, while others declared an angel had spoken to him. Then Jesus told them, The voice was for your benefit, not mine. The time for judging this world has come, when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I, lift, when I am lifted up from the earth... I will draw everyone to myself. And he said this to indicate how he was going to die. Jesus knew exactly where he was headed. He knew exactly what awaited him just a few hours away. And yet he didn't turn away at all. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 that he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. A little day later Jesus in the garden would pray, Father not my will but thy will be done. He was totally surrendered to the Father's purpose uh, for his life and for this moment uh, in time. But what was it that drove him? What was the hope that drove him forward on this journey to the hill that would be his death? Jesus summed it up in the verse that we read a few moments ago when he says, When I am lifted up, I will draw 
all men to myself. Jesus desired more than life itself to be able to draw men and women everywhere to himself and to present them through a relationship with him uh, redeemed and forgiven to the Father. And where Jesus went to the cross to make that possible, the fact remains that not everyone would be drawn. Not everyone will believe. And yet, he died for everyone. For everyone. Up until that time, Judaism, Judaism offered a, a national shrine or the temple. It offered the religious legal laws uh, to try to gain favor with God. But Jesus here offered himself. He offered his life. He offered to become a sacrifice to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. And as we stand this morning symbolically at the foot of the cross, we are moved, hopefully, by the sacrifice that took place there for you and for me. We're drawn to his death. And especially as Christians, we are focused on the cross and what it means uh, for us. Here at his nail-pierced feet, uh, we can be released from the chains of our sin. We can walk into an abundant life in him. We are forgiven. We are for redeemed. We're, giving ac we're given access to all the riches of God's grace in our life. This morning I ask you, what draws you to the cross? As we look at the cross, a couple questions we want to ask ourselves this morning. First of all, as we look at the cross, are you moved by the agony that you see there? And as you think of the cross this morning, don't think of it abstractly, but think of it, he went there for me. He went there for me. He took my place. The physical agony that he went through should grip us. He was first of all, before he ever got to the cross, was taken into Pilate's courtyard and he was, he was lashed to a post and then his back was bared and we know that his back was whipped. And we, some of us, grew up maybe in a different age than today, know what it was to get a licking. You ever get a whipping from your mom or dad? Rather get one from dad than mom. Um, <laughs> But Jesus was whipped there that day. And in that whipping, it wasn't a whipping with a belt that, that made you squirm a bit. This was a whipping that literally stripped the flesh from the bones of his back. Literally tore a man's back into strips and shreds. Few ever remain conscious through that whole uh, uh, procedure. Some died right there at the whipping post. Others went raving mad and were taken to the cross talking out of their head. Isaiah 53 prophetically describes it this way. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. His head 
that once held the crown of king of kings of the universe now was encircled by a mock crown that was made of huge thorns that bit painfully into his scalp and forehead and blood ran down his face and into his eyes. But that was only the beginning of his physical sufferings. He was then made uh, to carry his cross from the place that he had been whipped uh, out of the city, out of the, out of the, uh, the gate, and on to Calvary. Uh, his body was weak already from having been up all night. He had been tried throughout the night uh, and in, in, in the supposedly legal proceedings uh, and, and now he was just physically exhausted and then the whipping on top of that and the load that was being put upon him his back that was torn to ribbons now held a, a wooden cross that was rubbing into it and Jesus staggered beneath that load on the road uh, to the place of death at Calvary he was laid out on that cross. And those nails were pierced into his flesh and muscle and held him to that instrument of death. Pain ripped through his body as it convulsed as the hammer drove those nails into his flesh for you and for me. Then that cross now with the Savior attached to it, was raised upright and dropped down into a hole with a thud. And the weight of his body tore against those nails and his body, uh, as he goes forward, uh, is now gasping for air. And, and he has to push up with his feet that are nailed to that cross uh, to get a breath. And pain shoots through his feet and legs uh, as his feet tear against the flesh, the nails that hold him. He was offered some painkiller that he could drink, but Jesus wouldn't take it. He wanted to be conscious. He wanted to, he wanted to know that he was going to take and carry this all the way through to the end. Uh, but not only was it a day of physical agony, it was also a day of deep spiritual agony for him. No night that you have ever passed through in your experiences have ever been as dark uh, as the time that he spent there on the cross for you and me. Jesus had never known sin in his whole life. Just think of that. He had never known the guilt, even a tinge of guilt from sin. He was perfect. He had never disappointed the Father. He had never uttered a word that had to be recalled. He had never entertained one unclean thought. He had never told even one white lie. He had never retaliated for a wrong that had ever been done to him. He never knew, knew sin in thought, word, or deed. And suddenly upon his shoulder was laid every foul, despicable sin that would ever be committed in the history and future of this world. Uh, every murder, every theft, every rape, every act of adultery, every lie, every act of hatred and anger or selfishness, every sin ever committed or would ever be committed was now laid on him. Your sins 
and mine. And he experienced the awfulness and the weight of that. Not just mine, but every single person that would ever live. Whether they would accept his gift or not, it was laid upon him. Paul said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Jesus, who had never known one moment of separation from the Father, who for, for all eternity had been one, right up until that moment, perfect communion with the Father, but now separated because of your sin and my sin, he cries out under the crushing weight of that guilt of sin, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't any think anyone could adequately convey the spiritual loneliness of that eternal moment as the sinless Son of God, suspended between earth and heaven, is cut off from His Father because of your sin and mine. And the sacrifice for that sin is being made once and for all. That once and for all, the sin of anyone who accepts that gift could be forgiven. I am drawn to Jesus this morning because of the agony of his suffering on the cross for me. And I'm moved by the agony that I see there. Are you? But let's ask another question. Are you moved by the love that you see there? Here God is loving and he holds back nothing. The love of the Father we so casually read John 3.16 that we don't even think about what the words mean when we quote it. Uh, but it says, For God so loved the world that he gave. God knew from the very beginning when he gave, when he, when he gave his son, everything that was wrapped up in that little word, gave. Uh, he even turned his back on his son, not being able to even look uh, upon the sin that he was carrying on our behalf. Uh, he would have been within his rights to have turned around and said, I don't have to do this. He would have been in his rights to say, let them pay the price themselves. But instead, his love allowed him to give the gift that meant the sacrifice of his son so that you and I could experience forgiveness, freedom from guilt. He gave. Jesus, not only did the Father love, but the Jesus love. And he loved not only those disciples who were following him and had been with him and were now his friends and, and the ones that he was closest to, but he was even forgiving and loving those who had just whipped him. Those who had just pounded the nails into his hands and feet. And he was carrying that sin that very day. Not just some future us uh, that was out there somewhere hundreds, thousands of years later. He was carrying the sins of those that he was looking in their very faces right then. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us 
while we were still sinners. Love drove him to the cross. His mind flashed, I think, to every single person. He flashed thousands of years to a little church in Clearfield, Hyde, Pennsylvania, where you and I are sitting here thinking about that act. And he knew that our only hope for life was through his death. He loved us so much that he took your place and he took my place. There was an old song we used to sing years ago or a little chorus. I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on the cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's son, took my place. I'm drawn to the cross because of the love that I see there. But I'm also moved by the forgiveness I see there. You ever forgiven someone? I mean really forgiven someone. Someone that really did something bad to you and you offered forgiveness. Was it hard? Was it your first response? No, many times we have to dig so deep to find that forgiveness. It's not easy to forgive. It doesn't really come naturally to our fallen nature to forgive. But the willingness to forgive is one of the clearest indications that the Spirit of Christ is dwelling in us. Jesus' example of forgiveness on the cross is the, perhaps the most powerful encouragement for us to be able to also forgive. In the moment of his greatest personal darkness and abandonment, he was willing to forgive right away the penitent thief and to assure him that that very day he would be in paradise with him. Remember, Jesus was carrying that man's sin too. Everything that he had ever done that caused him to be hanging on a cross as a criminal, Jesus was carrying his sin. And he looks over at them and says, I forgive you. You're going to be with me in paradise. Luke tells us he cried to the Father to forgive those who were in the very act of crucifying him, who were gambling at his very feet for the clothes they had taken off of his back, and he still cries out, wanting to forgive those who were rejecting him. And then he summons up his last ounce of strength, and he cries out over the mocking crowd, It is finished. And in those words, we see the spirit of a person who refused to retaliate in anger, to retreat uh, from a dying man's need, to lay aside the task that was put upon him. He drank the bitter cup, it says, to the very last dregs. And so Jesus forgave the very ones who nailed him to that tree. And he pardoned them. And he received the criminal that hung beside him. And his atoning death did not stop short of being adequate to forgive any person that would ever sin at any time. To forgive your sin. To forgive my sin. When he cried, it is finished, he had gone far enough to forgive every sin that I have ever committed or ever could commit. 
because of the cross, I am forgiven, I am accepted, I am loved. And I'm drawn to the cross because of the forgiveness that I see there and that is extended to me. Hebrews chapter 13 says, And so Jesus suffered outside the city gate to make us holy by his own blood. He poured out his blood that day so that I could be holy, so that you could be holy, that we could know forgiveness, that we could have a relationship with God. Does that move you? That Jesus took your place? I want to end up this morning by reading a story to you that kind of illustrates this point. It says there was a certain professor of religion named Dr. Christensen. He was a studious man who taught at a small college in western United States. Dr. Christensen taught the the required survey course of Christianity at his particular college. And every student was required to take this course in their freshman year, regardless of their major. And although Dr. Christensen tried hard to communicate the essence of the gospel in his class, he found that his students didn't take his class very seriously. They just saw it as a drudgery. They had to take this class. uh, And they didn't take this even Christianity seriously. This year Dr. Christensen had a a special student in his in his class named Steve. Steve was just a freshman but he was studying to go on to seminary and to become a minister. He was very popular, he was very well liked, he was an posing physical specimen. He was the starting receiver on the school football team and he was the very best student in the professor's class. So one day after class, he asked Steve to stay. He wanted to talk to him. He said, Steve, how many push-ups can you do? And Steve said, well, I, I do 200 every night. 200? Wow, that's pretty good, Steve. Do you think you could do 300? I don't know. I've never done 300 at one time before. Do you think you could? Well, I could try. Can you do 300 push-ups in sets of 10? I have a project in mind and I need you to do 300 push-ups in sets of 10 for this to work. Can you do it? And so Steve says, well, I think I can. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a try. And so Dr. Stephen or Christensen said, good, this Friday, and I, here's what I have in mind. And so Friday came and Steve got to class early. He sat up in the very front of the class and when the class started, the professor pulled out a huge box of donuts. Now these weren't just your regular glazed donuts from Walmart. These were the extra fancy kind. Cream filled and sprinkles and all of the stuff that just made your mouth water. And everyone was excited because it was Friday and it was also the last day of class. And they were going to get out early and they were going to be headed home. So Dr. Christensen went to the very first girl in the very first row and he asked her, Cynthia, do you want to have one of these donuts? And she said, yes. 
And so Dr. Christensen turned to Steve and he asked Steve, would you do 10 push-ups so that Cynthia can have a donut? And sure, Steve jumps down and begins to do a quick set of 10 and then he jumps up and sits at his desk and the professor puts a donut on Cindy's desk. And then he went to Joe, the next person, and said, Joe, do you want a donut? Yeah. Steve, would you do 10 push-ups so Joe can have a donut? And he does 10 push-ups, and do Joe gets a donut, and went on and on down the first row. And Steve did 10 push-ups for every single person that got a donut. Now he comes to the next aisle, and he says to Scott, Scott, do you want a donut? Now Scott was on the basketball team. He was probably in just as good a condition as Steve was. Uh, and, and he was a very popular and uh, entertaining person. And he says, do you want a donut? And he says, yes, if I can do my own push-ups. And he says, no, Steve has to do them. Well, then I don't want one. And he says, fine. Um, uh, or he, he says... Uh, let me get this back up here. <laughs> he said to Steve, Steve, would you do push-ups so that Scott can have a donut that he doesn't want? Because he said, I didn't want it if I can't do my own. And so Steve gets down and does 10 push-ups. And Scott said, and he, the professor puts a donut on his desk. And Scott says, hey, I said I didn't want one. And the professor says, look, this is my classroom, my class, my desk. These are my donuts. If you don't want it, just leave it on the desk. And he puts a donut on Scott's desk. Now by this time, Steve was getting a little more slow in doing his push-ups. In fact, he wasn't jumping up and sitting in his chair after each one. He was staying on the floor, ready to do the next one. Perspiration was beginning to run off of his face. Dr. Christensen started down the third row. And the students were beginning to get a little agitated. And he comes to Jenny and he says, Jenny, do you want a donut? And she says, no. And so he turns to Steve. And he says, Steve, would you do 10 more push-ups so that Jenny can have a donut that she doesn't want? And so Steve then did push-ups. And a donut was placed on Jenny's desk. And by now there was a, a growing uneasiness that was filling the room and the students were each beginning to say, no, I don't want it. Uh, and an uneaten donut was placed on each desk. Uh, Steve was now having to make a lot of effort to keep those push-ups going for each donut. There was a pool of sweat on the floor beneath him and his arms and his brow were red from the effort uh, Dr. Christensen asked Robert, who was a very vocal unbeliever in the class, he said, Robert, I want you to watch Steve. I, I want you to make sure that he still does every push-up as he should. Uh, and he sent Robert to stand over Steve to make sure that Steve followed through. He starts down the fourth row. And during his class, as 
some people were passing by. They saw that something different was happening in the class. And as he started down, there were some others that wandered into the room and sat in the back. And when the professor realized this, he did a quick count and realized there was four more students. And he was worried if Steve was going to be able to make it. He went on to the next person and the next and near the end of the row, Steve was really having a rough time, and he was taking a lot more time to complete each set. Steve says to Dr. Christensen, do I have to make my nose touch each time now? He says, they're your push-ups. Do however you want. A few moments later, a student who was a new student to the school had transferred in. He saw what was happening there and was about to step into the room and the whole class, no, don't come in, stay out. <laughs> he didn't really know what was going on, but Steve picked his head up and he says, no, let him come in. And Dr. Christensen said, do you realize, Steve, that if he comes in, you're going to have to do 10 push-ups for him too. Yeah, let him come in. Give him a donut. And so Dr. Christensen said, Jason, why don't you come right now and get your donut? And so he didn't really realize what was happening. Yeah, I'll take a donut. And Steve, will you please do 10 push-ups for Jason so he can have his donut? And Steve did the push-ups and very slowly and with great effort and Jason standard and there bewildered was handed a donut and he sat down. When Dr. Christensen finished the fourth row and then started on those visitors who had come in in the back, Steve's arms were shaking. He, he was struggling to go against the force of gravity that was pulling him down. And by this time, there was just a great pool of sweat beneath him. And by this time, there was hardly a dry eye in the room. The very last two students in the room were two young women and they were both cheerleaders and very popular and Dr. Christensen went to Linda and said, Linda, do you want a donut? She very sadly said, no, thank you. The professor quietly says, Steve, would you do 10 push-ups so that Linda can have a donut she doesn't want? And grunting with effort, he did 10 very slow push-ups for Linda. And the last girl was Susan. Susan, do you want a donut? And she began to just tears and coming down her face. She said, Dr. Christensen, why can't I help him? And she's, Dr. Christensen, his eyes were full of tears at this point too. No, Steve has to do it alone. I've given him a, a task and he is in charge of seeing that everyone has an opportunity for a donut, whether they want it or not. When I decided to have this party on the last day of class, I looked at my grade book, and Steve was the only student who had a perfect grade. Everyone else had failed the test, had skipped a class, had turned in inferior work. And Steve told me that in football practice, when a player messes up, they have to get down and do a push-up. That or doing push-ups. That was the punishment. And so I told Steve that none of you could have anything to do with the party unless he paid the price by doing your push-ups. And he and I made a deal for your sakes. So Steve, would you do ten push-ups so that Susan can have a donut? 
As Steve very slowly finished his last push-up, with the understanding that he had accomplished all that was required of him, he had done 350 push-ups, and his arm buckled as he fell to the floor. Dr. Christensen turned to the room and he said, And so it was that our Savior Jesus Christ, on the cross, pled with his Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. With the understanding that he had done everything that was required of him, he had yielded up his life, and like some of those in this room, many people leave the guests the gift on the desk uneaten. Two students help Steve up off the floor into a seat physically exhausted, but wearing a a thin smile. And the professor says, well done, good and faithful servant. Not all sermons are preached in words. He told the class, my wish is that you might understand and fully comprehend all the riches of grace and mercy that have been given to you through the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He spared not his only begotten Son, but gave him up for us all, for the whole church now and forever, whether or not we choose to accept his gift. To us, the price has been paid. I ask you this morning, is the gift that God has given extended to you? Is it sitting on the desk? He offers it to every one of us. Every one of us have the opportunity to receive the forgiveness and to receive the price paid for the penalty of our sins. But it is no good unless we accept it. Jesus has already paid the price and if you go into eternity without accepting that gift, he's already paid it. What a tragedy to go into eternity and face a God that paid for your sin and you didn't even accept it. This morning, we are remembering. We're remembering what Jesus did to pay for our sins, to pay for the gift of eternal life. And this morning, if you have not received Jesus as your Savior, today would be a wonderful day to allow him to come into your heart so that you can receive communion, the remembrance of that gift that he gave for you and he gave for me. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Would there be anyone here this morning that says, Bob, today I want to make that decision. He is not, I have not accepted the gift but today I want to. We'd like to just pray with you here before we go to communion. If you know Jesus as your Savior this morning, I trust as we partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper that they would have a special meaning for us today. Jesus took my sin, but he also took the penalty for my sin. He paid the price. He loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, Christ forgave us. 
I'm going to ask those that are going to help with communion this morning to come. As they are coming, let me just read some scripture to you as Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians gave some instructions about the Lord's Supper. This is what he said. For I have received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. We want to take a moment and just examine ourselves. As we pray, just ask God to search your heart. If there's any unconfessed sin, confess it so that you come and receive this remembrance of Christ's death in a way that you can honor him because you are completely his. Would you stand with me in prayer? Then we're going to invite you, if you would, to come down these two uh, side center aisles and go back around. And I just ask that as you return to your seat, if you would do so quietly and wait till everyone's done and then we'll have a closing. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, we are humbled this morning as we think about the great love that was expressed for us by your coming to this earth and taking our place and hanging on the tree, paying for our sins. Lord, what we are about to do, may we not do lightly. May we not do just because that's what we do every, every couple months. Lord, I pray that you will help us to truly search our hearts right now. We confess to you those things that maybe we haven't brought before you for a while. We just ask that you would make sure that every area of our heart is clean and, and that we are totally yours this morning. We thank you for your body that was broken and your blood that was poured out so that we could have holiness, that we could have relationship with you because sin has been taken care of. Lord, this morning, we just quiet ourselves before you and we just say thank you from the bottom of our heart. And as we walk out these doors, may we not forget this. May we live in your presence and the presence of the one who died for us every single day this week, conscious that we are yours 
that we represent you, that we are your hands and feet. So we thank you. And we come to your table.